Welcome to another episode of Nikhil and Adam's Pretty Good Radio Show on KVRX Austin. I'm Adam, and this is my co-host, Nikhil. Yo, what up? And whether you are listening on the radio at 91.7 FM or on any of our podcast platforms, we are glad to have you here, and we're super excited to show you this episode. We're going to be talking to a couple members of our KVRX Sports Department. First up, we got... KVRX football expert Brett Hintz about the state of Texas football. And then after that, stay tuned for our mock NBA draft with Brandon Bassett. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. All right, we're here with Brett Hintz, our resident KVRX football expert. Um, Brett, what's up? What I do, man. Hey, thanks for coming on. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be discussing pretty much the state of Texas football right now. I know that you go into it a lot with your show every Wednesday, but we were hoping that you could bring some of that knowledge back to us. Um, first question I have, uh, as someone who hasn't been keeping up too much with Longhorn football in the last few weeks, uh, you know, I checked the box scores. Um, what is the current state of, you know, UT football right now like I know we won the West Virginia game uh you know are we looking good right now like is Texas back (laughs) (laughs) the current state of Texas football if I was to be able to best put it into layman terms is confusion because Texas football they're winning games they won their last game against West Virginia and they won the game before that against Oklahoma State they didn't look good in either of those games so while they're accumulating wins and they're going towards their goal of a Big 12 championship, uh, they are – it's misleading because, like I said, they are winning these games, but they're winning these games largely because of mistakes that the opposing team is making. The Texas team right now, they are supremely talented. Joel Klatt has them as one of the top five most talented rosters across all of college football. But week in and week out, if you watch them, it's like this team is finding ways to win – whenever they are playing a – when they're usually playing three and a half quarters of bad football. So it's really confusing as an observer, especially if you're not paying attention because, yeah, they're winning these games and, they're, and they've, they're, they're certainly better than what they were against TCU and Texas Tech earlier in the season. But then again, they're also not playing well. So it's hard to put – it's hard. that's why I think it's confusing is because it's hard to put a, a bow on this team whenever they are still winning games, but also just they don't look, they don't look like a good team. So I would say the state of current the, the current state of Texas football is just confusion right now. So um, we and we're going to touch on you know the Big Twelve championship game whether you know our recruiting versus our record kind of uh, discrepancy. But one thing I wanted to ask you about really quick um, was last week's game Notre Dame versus Clemson in which Notre Dame pulled off the win, um, and we saw right after the game. During this pandemic war under, uh, Notre Dame fans rushed the field. Uh, Adam, Brett, what are your thoughts on that? Was this justified? Um, are we canceling Notre Dame football? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought it was pretty unbelievable that they even allowed that to happen. You would think that Notre Dame would have security that would be a lot stronger in preventing that from happening in the first place. And I saw that Notre Dame responded like they they have their, their students have to test negative for COVID before they are allowed to leave campus. So like, they're like putting, they're implementing like extremely strict rules. And also it's Notre Dame. They're ranked like number four in the nation. Steven talked about this on our show last week, but like Notre Dame is supposed to be like a powerhouse. 
So beating a, another top five team isn't supposed to be that big of a feat for a team that's ranked number four and is also like has the clout that Notre Dame has. So while I'm not going to cancel Notre Dame, I'm like thinking like, wow, I cannot believe that they allowed that to happen. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I just think it's a little irresponsible. I don't think it's the end of the world or anything, but I think they have fans that they need to care care about. But more importantly, they have players that they need to care about. And if a player came in contact with someone who might have been sick, what would they have done then? Oh, yeah, so I, absolutely. I think they need to definitely think a little more on their maybe security or whatever. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy yeah. to think about just because, like, with COVID, literally Clemson's quarterback missed the game due to COVID. Like, they are, Clemson was down several players and coaches because of COVID, and yet they're having to, like, leave the field, like, having to navigate through, like, a thousand Notre Dame students that, like, haven't been, like, that you don't know where they've been. So it's incredibly irresponsible, and I just, like I said earlier, I cannot believe that they allowed it to happen. Yeah, man, if I was, if I was a Clemson player, coach, or anyone on that staff, I'd be – super pissed just you know like why would you like why would you have like go visit a school and then be put at risk by that same school you're visiting you expect a level of professional like you know for them exactly to, like you expect do you think um do you think if you're a potential recruit watching this and you don't know when the covid um situation is going to end do you think this affects uh how you look at notre dame yeah that's right well, I don't know if, you know, the field rushing is what uh, is making me look at Notre Dame differently. The fact that it's in South Bend, Indiana is what's making me look at it differently. (laughs) I know for a fact that, especially after living in Austin for four years for UT, that I am, there's no way that I'm going to be a, you know, potential student recruit sitting there thinking about, oh, where should I go? And think about going to South Bend, Indiana, where, you know, clearly the school does not put the safety of their students or their players uh, as a number one priority. Yeah, and I just, as a recruit, I'm not sure if these guys, like, I'm not really sure what reality these guys exist in, like, just because I know there are some people in our population that view that as like, oh, yeah, they won the game, it's super cool, and I'm sure, like, there are some recruits that look at the storm, or the the field storming situation, they're like, oh, that's, like, a really cool indicator of, like, school spirit, but then, like, I don't, I'm sure there are other recruits that are like, yeah, there's, like, an entire pandemic going on where we have, like, 200,000 new cases a day, (laughs) that should probably not be happening, so I'm sure there are recruits on both ends of the spectrum. Okay, so going back to, you know, Texas football, uh, going back to the Big 12, are we going to this championship game? And more importantly, do we deserve to go to this championship game? So whether Texas is going to the Big 12 championship game, I think that they are more than capable of doing so. If you look at the remaining schedule, they have Kansas left. And I've, I've spoke about it repeatedly on the show. Kansas is awful. They are one of the worst programs of, in, in across all of college football. Like, it's, it's ridiculous how bad they are. Texas should win that game. And then they have Iowa State, which is a very winnable game. Iowa State, I believe, is 5-4. and four, And their roster is not very good compared to Texas's. But I've talked about this as well. Tom Herman, he struggles to beat teams that he should beat. So while Texas should win that game and, you know, they're going to be – Why are they ranked above us? Why are they 17 and we're 21 when they have a worse record? Iowa State? Yeah. Probably because Texas, like I just said, Texas has such a history of losing to inferior opponents. I don't blame AP voters for for putting Texas as low as they have them. And like I just said earlier about the state of Texas football, their win their their wins are very misleading. They, while they're winning games, the wins that they have like just aren't very convincing at all. So I could see that would be the reason why. 
But just to go back towards uh, whether Texas is going to the Big 12 championship game, they have Kansas and then they have Iowa State. And Iowa State is a very winnable game. And then they, after that, they have Kansas State. And Kansas State is a very well-coached team, but they're missing their starting quarterback, Skylar Thompson, and they're a much worse offense without Skylar Thompson. So those are, the, those are the, the three games that are left on Texas's schedule, and they're all three winnable games. And so as long as Texas wins those three games, and I believe if Kansas State or if Iowa State loses to one more team, which I believe that they're supposed to, then Texas will make the Big 12 championship game. Whether they're going to win it and whether they deserve to be there – I don't know. I, I certainly don't think they deserve to be there because, like I said, they have played poorly. I can't remember a game where I've looked back at it and said, you know what, Texas played well, even in a win. So I don't know if they deserve to be there, but I think they're on track to get there. Doesn't this feel like a super underwhelming season to you? Um, and this is this is me coming from a UT student. Like, I'm around the, you know, game a lot, Like I, but I haven't been watching. But, like, at least the past few years there's been more of a buzz more of an excitement around um ut even if we haven't been performing super well um we are still talked about and on campus like there is that buzz uh, i agree like um i definitely feel like i haven't heard as much sometimes i don't know the games are going on because i usually don't go out of my way i like to watch them but i never know to go out of my way to put them on until they're already on or usually they're done by the time i find out like a game already happened so I don't think there's a, a big of a buzz as in, like normal. Is there that level of excitement? Is there like some you know some kind of uh, energy going around uh, you know Texas football that we're not aware of? Like, are people excited about this? It might just be due to the pandemic that you know football isn't being watched nearly as much or talked about nearly as much. But at least compared to you know other seasons where I've been at UT where we haven't done you know even this well. I just mm -hmm. don't see that kind of buzz around the team at all. Yeah, and it's weird because this is year four of Tom Herman's tenure, and this is the year that everyone expected Texas to go out and have a splash year, potentially college football playoff, be in the Big 12 championship conversation. And this is the year wherever Tom Herman finally has all of his recruits and he has a full, a full, full four years of players that are his players. And this is the year that Texas football was supposed to just take off and they haven't. And it's all, and a lot of it has to do with coaching. So it's understandable. And it's true that the buzz around Texas football has not been as high as it has been in other years. And I think that's just because Texas football came into this football or came into this season with such high expectations. And we're looking at it now to where they might make the big 12 championship game. It's not even a guaranteed or it's not even a guarantee. So that it's definitely, that would be a huge reason as to why you guys are probably not noticing as much of a buzz around campus. At least it's just because they came into this season with such high expectations as potential college football playoff, you know, they're supposed to be there. And while yes, it's a COVID year, it's a weird year across all of college football. They have, you know, they have underwhelmed or they have underwhelmed considerably. And so, yes, you're absolutely correct in your assertion that the, the buzz around Texas football is not as much as it has been in previous years. And do you think that's attributed more to the fact that like, we just haven't met expectations, not the fact that there's a pandemic going on and any other situations? Like, I mean, obviously game day doesn't feel the same as it has in the, like previous years due to the pandemic. We can still see like, where I live, there's a sports bar near my place, and I still see people sitting around there during game day wearing burnt orange. I still see people, like, walking around on game day. Um, you know, like, frats are still out. There's still that kind of, like, feeling that it is. But that's more surrounding kind of the spectacle of, you know, Texas football and how much power that holds. But going more towards the actual team, like, 
it, it doesn't seem like anyone's having conversations about like, oh, this is, you know, a terrible loss. This is a great win for us. Um, I think the biggest uh, game of the season so far and, you know, you know, understandably so was the Texas OU game where yeah. it did go into like, you know, a few overtimes. Like it was just such a high profile game. But since that point, like it just hasn't seemed like there is much buzz around the team. And I don't see that improving at all when the next three opponents that we're facing are Kansas, Iowa State, and Texas State. Um, do you see that, you know, let's say that we do make it to a championship game uh, in, for the Big 12 and we play someone like, you know, OSU or OU. Do you see that kind of energy coming back at all? Yeah, I think playing in a Big 12 championship and like having the potential to win a Big 12 championship will definitely like revitalize feelings of of excitement for fans. I mean, just because even though we we have sort of backpedaled into this Big 12 championship, I definitely think that's still an exciting venture, not only for players, but for fans. And you're right. It's absolutely like a weird year with COVID. You definitely can't, you can't enjoy the full game day experience. The DKR is not sold out every week and it's definitely a different experience week to week. And um, just to answer your question, yes, I'd certainly think that an appearance in the Big 12 championship and especially if they win it, that will do a great, a, a great number on, you know, just bringing that energy back towards Texas football. Which uh, bowl game do you think we'd go to? That's a tough one to say. The winner of the Big 12 championship is automatically in a New Year's Six Bowl, so like the Sugar Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, Mm -hmm. one of those high-profile bowls. Uh, But I'm not sure. It really depends on if they were to win it or lose it. So if they were to lose it and they were to come in with like eight wins or nine wins, they would probably play in like a similar bowl than they played in last year, like with the Alamo Bowl or something like that. So that would probably be my prediction, like just in a, in a bowl like that with, with a, within that tier. But if they win, chance, they'll be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. Is there a chance we play A&M? That's a weird one. A&M, that's been, a, that's been one that's been talked about through, through, uh, through the years in college football, why A&M is so reluctant to play Texas in a bowl game. I don't think there's a chance just because, like I said, A&M has been weirdly reluctant. Uh, but, I mean, there's always a chance. You really never know. It's a weird year. It's a COVID year. So – Maybe. Maybe. Um, and, okay, so you talked a lot about, you know, Tom Herman. This is the year that everything was supposed to come together. Um, Sam Ellinger's senior year, he should have been rounded out by as a player right now. We have a very strong recruiting class. Like you said, we're top five in the country, just talent alone. Why has this not translated to a competitive record? So with Tom Herman – the coaching is a large reason why Texas isn't where it's supposed to be. And it's confusing because if you look at, at Tom Herman, his record, like he has no problem winning the big games. He won the big game last year against Utah in the bowl game. They beat Georgia the year before in the bowl game. They beat OU, I believe not last year, but the year before it's not the, it's not the bowl games that Tom Herman has had trouble winning the it's the winning the games against TCU or the Iowa States or the Kansas States. And that's what's what's troubling for Tom Herman and why he has problems winning those games. A lot of it has to do with his personnel decisions. So while we're, we have no problem getting the recruits here, whenever they do get here, Texas football has, has quite the issue with figuring out just what to do with them. And I'll use this as an example. Freshman Bajan Robinson, the five-star running back that they recruited out of New Mexico last year, he's averaging 5.8 yards per attempt. Uh, so every time he touches the ball, he's getting 5.8 yards. But he doesn't have as many touches as as um, excuse me as Keontae Ingram, who is averaging 4.7 yards per attempt, or Roshan Johnson, who is averaging 4.3. So the numbers show that he has been 
incredibly better than those two running backs whenever he's touching the ball. And even, and even if you just go by the eye test, he looks like the much better running back. But for some reason, Texas football continues to march out those two running backs over Bajan. And it makes no sense. So I would say a large part of it is personnel decisions that has to do with why Tom Herman isn't, be, isn't able to translate these really good recruiting classes to a competitive record. How, how much more do you feel is on uh, Herman's like rope? How much more seasons of not necessarily failure, but kind of disappointment do you think he has before it becomes a, a serious issue that needs to be addressed? So that really depends on who you ask. And this is what something me and Steven disagree on, on our show, the sports walk with Brett. Uh, I think that Tom Herman, even if he wins out this season, and even if he was to win the Big 12 championship game, I believe that Texas, it would be in their best interest to move on from him and find a new coach. People like mm -hmm. Steven disagree and say that it's a weird year, it's a COVID year, and Texas would best be able or would best be suited to bring him back one more year. And I just, I think Tom Herman has proven it's, he's proven it this year with the TCU game. And like I've said repeatedly and also on this show, he has trouble just winning the big game. And this, and this is just who he is. Sometimes whenever this is year four and it's a, it's a, it's a recurring problem every single year. So I think that even if Tom Herman should win out and I think secretly Chris Del Connie, the athletic director believes the same thing, even if he wins out, Tom Herman is who he is. And so I think it would be in Texas best interest to not give any more rope and just to believe him whenever he's shown us who he is and to just let's go hire a new coach next year. I definitely wouldn't be opposed to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me neither. I, I've, I don't know if I was a big fan of the Tom Herman hire, even when it like you know came out. We acquired him from the University of Houston, just because you know University of Houston is not a great football school. Like I, I don't see him having like a fantastic season at U of H, translating to having prolonged success at UT. And although we've had a you know consistent winning record during his tenure, like it's still fallen short of our expectations as Texas fans. I know that like me coming to UT um, my freshman year, I was like, okay, I'm going to a school that has, you know, incredible prestige when it comes to athletics and to see, you know, year after year of just like disappointment. And like you said, it's not disappointment coming from, you know, losing to schools like OU uh, and other blue blood programs. It's mostly coming from schools like, you know, like the first two years he was losing to Maryland, you know, both yeah. times. Like what, th th that just doesn't make sense to me. Like how you can drop the ball against these schools that you are supposed to beat. And if, you know, your coach can't even take you past like that level, like I just don't see a reason for him to stick around. Yeah, and here's the thing about the Tom Herman situation. It's different this year because Texas has, they're looking at the prospect of Urban Meyer. It's not every coaching cycle where a coach like Urban Meyer is going to be able or is going to be available to hire. So you have a guy like him who's available that to me, that represents a clear upgrade from someone like Tom Herman, who has consistently proven that he's not going to be able to win 10, 11, 12 games a season as a head coach of a of a power five football a team like Texas. So that's the thing about the Tom Herman situation is that Texas is, they have the option or the opportunity to hire a coach who has won three national championships. He wins a coach of the year award, every, every job he goes to. And the thing about the Tom Herman situation is that there's just, there's a superior coach that is available for the taking if Texas truly wants to, because Texas has, unlike any other school in the nation, Texas has more money and more resources than almost anyone. So whenever you have the opportunity to hire a football coach like Urban Meyer, it's my opinion, at least, like I said, me and Steven defer on this. It's my opinion that Texas should just should take that opportunity by the horns and absolutely pull the trigger on that. Nice. Um, so 
kind of wrapping up here, what can we as Texas football fans be excited about for the coming, you know, the rest of the season? I, I guess that we can, you know, make it to the Big 12 championship. Um, it seems like, you know, there's a chance that our coach is going to be fired. Uh, we don't have a quarterback for next season. Is that so, wait, is the coach thing something to be excited about? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I – no, go ahead. Give us some optimism, Brett. So, I think that Texas – I mean, what I said earlier is that they have Kansas and Iowa State and Kansas State left on the schedule. So, if you're a Texas football fan or just a UT student that's looking to watch winning football, then there's a good chance that you're going to be able to watch winning football over the final three games over the season. Now, it's weird with COVID and everything. These past couple weeks, we've seen – especially this week, we've seen, like, all these cancellations. Like, I think there's, like, five games being played tomorrow. So, who knows if we're even going to get those last three games in. And I know I'm supposed to be an optimist here, not a pessimist, but, you know, we have these last three games on the schedule that are very winnable games for Texas. And then, so you win those three games and then you're going to be playing for a big 12 championship. So as I said earlier, playing for a big 12 championship is an extremely exciting opportunity, no matter if you, you know, if you accidentally make your way into the big 12 championship, winning the, the prospect of playing for that is exciting in itself. And another thing that if you're a Texas football fan or just a UT student in general that you can be excited about is if we don't then there's a strong chance that Tom Herman isn't the football coach next year and if you ask me that's an ex that's something that we should all be excited for so that's something that you know I think that you can look forward to no matter if Texas wins out or if they lose a game because if they win out they're going to be playing for the big 12 championship which is exciting and if they lose and if they don't win the big 12 championship there's a strong chance that Tom Herman will not be your head coach anymore so both options for me at least are exciting yeah, and uh, I'm not too worried about the cancellations. Most of our football team has already gotten COVID, so chances of them uh, <laughs> that's not that's not super high. Um, you can you can never you can never predict the other team though. <laughs> yeah, yes, you're right. Uh, anyway, thank you so much, Brett, for coming on. You can listen to Brett uh, and his co-host Stephen Wagner every Wednesday on KVRX. Uh, what time is your show at, Brett? Our show is at 2 p.m. every Wednesday. You can listen to it on 91.7 KVRX every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Or you can stream it on Spotify. Me and Steven would be happy for you to listen to our show. We give you an hour of football content from college football to the NFL or really just whatever the hell we want to talk about whenever it comes to football. So please, please, please just give us a listen. I promise you'll like it. Awesome. Thanks, right, Brett. Man. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you all for having me on. All right, uh, we are here with Brennan, our, uh, another one of our KVRX uh, interns. He is the host of Records and Rebounds. Uh, say what's up, Brennan. Hey, what's up, y'all? So um, we're doing this segment just ahead of the NBA draft, which is coming up on the 17th. Uh, weird year for the NBA. We are kind of off schedule going about this in a pretty impromptu way. But we did get a draft day. We do have a restart date on the 22nd. So it's going to be really interesting to see, um, you know, how teams draft this year and then whether there's going to be any trade deadline or draft day trades um, and then how free agency is going to pan out in the weeks following. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm real curious to see. I, I know a lot of teams are trying to move talent and a lot of teams are not sure of what's actually going to happen. And so I think the draft coming first will kind of give us an indication or we might see a big or a couple few like really big trades. So I'm excited for that. 
I also think that um, just by nature of how little time teams have, I think teams that make big moves and ship like big players of their team, I think they're going to have a really hard time adjusting within such a small time frame. So I'd be on the lookout for any team that really decides to make any roster changes to see if their chemistry any changes at all, you know? Yeah, right. or that- certain uh, front office uh, staff, kind of like Maury, who love to make trades, see if they can get anything done quickly in the few few days they have. Do y'all think teams are going to be a lot more uh, gullible or, like, you know, pro- uh, prone to making bad decisions just because it's such a short time period? I know, like, there's teams like the Hawks who, for some reason, are in win-now mode who are trying to make the playoffs. Do you see them making any kind of, like, real stupid decisions just because it's such a rush? I wouldn't say stupid for the Hawks. I, I'm curious to see what they'll do because I don't think Capella's a piece they consider like a long-term piece. And so I think they do have some flexibility. So wh- what about you, Brennan? What do you think? Yeah, I haven't paid too much attention to the Hawks, but I do think if they get some good talent around Trey Young, I think they could definitely be solid contenders. Um, I guess all the faith lies in their front office, which I'm not too familiar with, but I definitely do think just given how short sort of a notice they have, it might be difficult to make some solid trades. Well, it is the same front office that traded that Luca pick for Trey Young, so it didn't work out too well for them. Um, I don't think it worked out poorly. It just didn't work out as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could have worked out better. I mean, seeing Luca in a uh, Atlanta uniform instead of a Dallas uniform definitely would have been a plus for the entire NBA. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, don't don't be like that. <laughs> soon, soon Houston will be in rebuild, and I don't want to oh, hear man. a word for the okay. next six to yeah. eight years. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, do let's just like touch really quick, really quick on this Houston situation, just as a quick update for um, this past week. We have heard that Westbrook wants out of Houston. He's requested a trade. We know that Harden is uh, at least he says he's committed to the Rockets. He's planning on staying. <laughs> But um, it's definitely a more flexible, more mobile situation than it was a year ago. Um, our you know, general manager is gone. Our head coach is gone. The system that is put in place right now seems like it's not very flexible just because of our lack of draft capital in Houston. Um, so, you know, they could blow it up. They could try to move Westbrook and try to get, you know, a big man, which that we have found that. In the Western Conference, when you're going up against Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic, you definitely do need a big man. So uh, I can see them trying to do that. But, yeah, that is the news that Houston does not look good. We know that P.J. Tucker is dissatisfied with his contract. We know that um, Austin Rivers is also not satisfied with his. He's going to be opting out of his player option. And we know that um, promiscuous man Daniel House is also dissatisfied. So. Things are I not- think it might be near time to blow it up just because you could get the most bang for your buck yeah. right now yeah. if you're Houston. It's over. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a chance that Harden is out next year. I think he has a player option next year, and if they have another failure, um, he'll be 32 next year, and I can definitely see him um, moving out of Houston. So they could pounce on the opportunity to put him up on the market, um, which is why I don't think teams should be super quick on – making decision, decisions just because, uh, you know, Harden could be available as much as it yeah. pays me to say. Yeah, uh, I want to get started on this mock draft, but first I want to I wanna clarify something that I called it about last offseason around, not this time, but mid-offseason time when they first made the move for Harden. I said they have one year 
before they blow it up. <laughs> and here we are one year later. I think yeah. they're going to blow it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, not a, not a great year for uh, Houston sports fans, but hopefully um, our general manager, Rafael Stone, will figure something out. But enough depression here. Let's move on to the most depressed teams in the league uh, in the NBA lottery. Um, we're going to be doing it in a just general, like we're going to give our takes on who each of these teams should be picking. Um, and we'll argue a little bit. We'll, you know, gas each other up. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, I guess we'll start off with number one pick, and that is owned by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Their current situation is that they have two stars in D'Angelo Russell and Carl uh, Anthony Towns who don't play very much defense. I believe they have um, a new head coach. I don't know if that's correct or not, but I think they do. Uh, and, yeah, Adam, who's, who's your pick for the Wolves this uh, season? Well, I think it all depends on if the Timberwolves want to keep that pick or they don't. Um, I've heard rumors that Devin Booker wants out of Phoenix, and if he does want out of Phoenix, I know Minnesota – is on the short list for sure because those are two of his best friends. Yeah. And so that presents three ball-dominant players who don't play much defense, which <laughs> I think would be a lot of fun to watch. But assuming they keep that pick, I would say LaMelo <laughs> goes yeah, at number one. You're going to have to justify this one. Yeah, so I think LaMelo would provide a similar asset to Devin Booker, not as refined, but He's a ball-dominant player who's creative with the ball and can score. But I think the difference between everyone else and LaMelo is the experience. LaMelo's been able to play overseas, playing against real professionals, grown men. And so he's proven he could stand up for himself. And I think kind of the same way Luca was able to do that and come right into the league and uh, be efficient and kind of make a, uh, an impact, I think LaMelo could do the exact same thing. And the Timberwolves are a team that have been good, but not nearly good enough to get to the playoffs. So I definitely think the people in charge kind of want to expedite this process. And I think LaMelo would be a great addition to D'Angelo Russell in the backcourt. Okay. Well, I, you know, fundamentally disagree just because I don't see the value in LaMelo ball, but I'll, I'll get to him, you know, eventually do select him or maybe I don't select him for the lottery. Um, let's do this. Let's um, go through our picks. And at the end, let's rate each other's, uh, you know, one to one to 10. Uh, and we'll keep moving from there. Brennan, who's your, who's your number one picks pick for the wolves? Yeah, I really don't see the wolves taking anyone other than Anthony Edwards. I think LaMelo definitely has quite possibly the highest ceiling in the draft, but I think his floor is also the lowest. He's, he definitely has experience playing overseas, but I think a lot has to be said in terms of his discipline and whether or not he can actually make it in the professional NBA. I mean, completely different ballgame compared to overseas. Of course, um, Luca's an exception. He played phenomenally both overseas and here, so it is quite possible he fits in well. But on terms of Anthony Edwards, I just think that out of everybody in this draft class, I think he's the most NBA-ready. Um, I think he's, without a doubt, a top three pick and I think he'd fit in pretty well in the system that Minnesota has um, he'd fit, all, fit along right side uh, D'Angelo Russell pretty well provide some nice versatile defense to the team which they're sorely lacking um, I, I really can't see them taking anyone other than Anthony really 
Okay. Well, for me, it's it's more of a complicated situation in my eyes just because the tradeability of this pick. And if Minnesota were to move this pick, that I think they would most likely, you know, trade down. They wouldn't just, you know, give it up for an asset. Um, one potential candidate is the Hornets. Um, at number three, they could probably swap picks and probably pick up the Hornets' uh, second round or late first round pick. Um, and if this was to happen, I think the Hornets would most definitely pick up James Wiseman. He is, you know, a ginormous big man. He can shoot the ball. He can hang, hang in the post with elite big men in a couple of years. Um, there's also rumors that they, they're really high on uh, Tyrese Halliburton. So I could see them trading uh, with Atlanta, who, again, like I said earlier, are in this really stupid win-now mode. I know their ownership is the one that's been ta- talking to their GM and their coach and being like, yo, like we need to make the playoffs this year. And I really don't see that happening. Um, but if you know they were to uh, trade with Atlanta, I think Atlanta would pick Anthony Edwards. Um, who would pair really well with Trey Young. And if Minnesota were to, you know, end up to keep the pick, like I agree with you, Brennan, like they would select Anthony Edwards um, as, you know, draft approaches. He's standing out clearly as number one, like definitely top three. He's versatile. He would look great next playing next to D'Angelo Russell. He's a good shooter. He's a good playmaker. Um, he does have a pretty rough handle though, from the clips that I've seen from him playing. Uh, he, tends to like have this like really herky jerky motion that's similar to what Jalen Brown had back in when he was playing in college. But as you can see with Jalen Brown, like he definitely has improved his handle. Um, it would be good for him next to, to play next to a good point guard just because, you know, his handle isn't that great and it can take some of that playmaking load off of him. Uh, his defense is also pretty questionable, which is a red flag for Minnesota just because they are terrible at defense. And his, he's especially really bad at playing off ball. He loses his man a lot, which leads to him giving up these wide open looks. But again, all those things are pretty flex, are pretty fixable with NBA coaching. I don't think Minnesota is in like that win now mode, which they have been in for the past couple of years. I think they're ready to take things slow. I have a lot of faith in their general manager. Um, but yeah, like I, I do see Edwards going as number one. His scoring offensive prowess definitely going to make him an incredibly coveted lottery pick. And it's going to be funny to see how Minnesota tries to improve their defense with those three guys. But um, I mean, so Brennan and I both kind of had the same pick. I'm going to rate yours, Adam, as a two out of ten, just <laughs> so low on Lamelo. But this is this is not a knock on you. This is a knock on Lamelo. Um, Brennan, as we our picks were the same, I'm just not going to give yours a rating. So, <laughs> what do you think about Adam's number one pick? You know, I'd I'd give it a three. I, <laughs> I I'm a, I'm a bit higher on Lamelo than you, I'd say, but I definitely don't see the Timberwolves taking him. Honestly, uh, I don't know if the the Wolves will take him, but I still think he's going first. And okay. I think him getting away from the spotlight. His brother was in L.A. and kind of disappointed, but I think him in Minnesota, hypothetically, I think it could be a nice uh, change of pace for him. What do you think about our picks? I'll give them – they were really boring. You, you guys <laughs> chose the safe answer. I'll give you all a, a 5 out of 10 because you might be right. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, let's uh, so, move on to num- yeah, let's move on to number two. Uh, this is the Golden State Warriors who, despite having, you know, three all-stars on their team and winning the championship, uh, what, three years ago, back in 2018. They are 
you know, due, due to in, injury and uh, pretty unfortunate circumstances this year, they are in the number two slot. Uh, Brennan, why don't you go first on this one? Yeah, so I have the Warriors taking um, James Wiseman second. I think he would pair really well alongside, of course, Steph Curry and uh, Clay Thompson. I think he'd fill that role of sort of that rim-running big. Um, he's also, just like um, just like Anthony Edwards, I think he's probably one of the most built players and, like, prepared for the, uh, for the actual game, like, in the NBA. Um, I think he'd pair really well alongside them. Of course, it's, it's the safe pick again, but I think that's who they would go for, honestly. Yeah, Adam? Yeah, um, I made the same pick um, for similar reasons. Who's it's boring just, now? Uh, well, I mean, w- when you're a championship team um, and you're not too far removed from your championship roster, I think you could make the boring pick. Because worst case scenario, Wiseman is going to play the same role as Jordan Bell, same role as McGee during their finals run, where he's just rim running high energy. Best case mm-hmm. scenario, you get a lot more for him. But I could honestly even see the Warriors trying to flip Andrew Wiggins and this pick if there's an offer good enough on the table. I don't know who it would be, what would really catch their eye, but I could see them doing that. Would you do um, Al Horford? No. Wiggins? No. Number two? No. No. That's all you had to say, Al Horford, and it's a no. I might consider (laughs) James Harden. (laughs) <laughs> That's the well. Al Horford's the only one off the top of my head that I can see the salary matching up with, except for yeah. probably Kevin Love. And I really don't, don't think want, that would happen. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I really don't want Kevin Love on the. Actually, no, I, I do. As a Warriors hater, I do want to see Kevin Love on the Warriors. But if I were there, if I was their front office, I wouldn't take him. Um, yeah, what is your pick? Yeah, I also had James Wiseman. You know, boring. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that the Warriors are going to need to have a big man this season if they're going to contend for a title. I mean, you're seeing guys like Jokic and AD in the Western Conference uh, running the top as big men who are arguably the best players on their team uh, and definitely, you know, the best big men in the league right now. Uh, so you're going to have somebody who needs to be able to rebound. They need to be able to defend these players. They're going to have to be able to have someone who's rolling to the basket for Steph. And Wiseman, like, I mean, his ability to box out is fantastic. Like, he's really big. He's built pretty well. Like, and I can see him even putting on more weight. But definitely more of a finished product than guys like Mo Bamba, who have the same height as him. Um, so, yeah, I can see him being able to, you know, def- or rebound pretty well. His He has really quick hands in the post. Like, from the, t- you know, tapes that I've seen, he's been getting a lot of steals down there. Um, and he gets like these offensive bigs, like pretty uncomfortable. And it's kind of similar to (laughs) James Harden in the post as well, where he really bothers them. So I think it would work really well with that Warriors disruptive defense. And keep in mind, like, like you were saying, like, he doesn't have to do very much, like a minimum, he will fill in that JaVale McGee, Jordan Bell role. Um, and I don't think the Warriors are going to be asking too much of him, uh, which is a plus point, like. And because he tends to think a lot when he plays, when he's uncomfortable, he's not a super quick decision maker. You know, if he gets doubled in the post, I don't see him being able to do too well if he's the number one option on his team. So having guys like Steph and Clay to pass out to who will be managing the bulk of the offense, like I see that as a plus point for both him and the Warriors. So they'll, they'll make it easy on him and it'll be interesting to see whether he'll be able to develop that jump shot or not and maybe move into a shooting five position and kind of be able to spread the floor a little bit. But, you know, 
that that's I think that we're all in consensus here. Wiseman is clearly you know going to be the number two pick for you know as long as nothing weird happens with that number one option. Uh, and you know we can't really rate each other because we all picked the same ones. So let's move on to Chicago. Um, Charlotte for number three. Charlotte, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so for number three, I'm saying it's either going to be Anthony Edwards or LaMelo, whichever one doesn't get picked first. Because I think the Hornets aren't really – they're not a, in a position where they're too concerned about um, fit as far as what they already have on the roster because they've just been mediocre for several years now. And so I think they're going to go with the best available – the highest ceiling available at least. And I think Anthony Edwards could provide that um, with his scoring. You mentioned he's not a great defender, but I think if Michael feels like he could be the new face of the franchise, that he'll make a push. But I think LaMelo would also be a great fit (laughs) in Charlotte um, with a lot of opportunity to have the ball in his hand, even with uh, Terry Rozier and Malik Monk, who had a great season, but I don't think it was good enough to just go all in on him. So I'm going with uh, either Anthony Edwards or LaMelo. Yeah, so for me, I, I was looking at their roster right now, and it seems like the Hornets are a pretty guard-saturated team. Like, they have a couple decent guys at the one and two positions, but they don't have a standout big man. Cody Zeller is not cutting it for them, uh, despite his, you know, minimal highlight tapes. But uh, unfortunately, like if Wiseman does go second, they're not really left with some incredible bigs uh, on the board left. So I, it would have to be, you know, either, you know, Oneka Okungwu or Obi Toppin. And I per- personally like Okungwu just because he's, you know, another solid rim runner, rim runner. He has, he reminds me a lot of Bam with his playmaking, Bam Adebayo with his playmaking ability and athleticism. He's a good defender in the pick and roll, good shot blocker with his wingspan. And, you know, he doesn't have great shot mechanics, but that's, you know, when you bring Cody Zeller off the bench. Um, Brennan, what do you think? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Okongwu is definitely the best pick for Charlotte, especially if Wiseman's already taken. Um, you're completely right. He gives me major Bam Adebayo vibes. His handling is great for a big. He's definitely a threat near the rim, and he can pass out to players on the perimeter. Um, he's great in the pick and roll, super versatile in defense. I think he's definitely a lock for top five and I think he'd fit in perfectly with the system in Charlotte because like you said they are incredibly guard heavy at the moment all right uh so let's see Adam you out of let's say that LaMelo gets drafted first uh Anthony Edwards goes third I'm pretty content with that pick for Charlotte just because again their three position isn't as strong as well and like you said like they just are one of those rosters that need to start from the bottom up. They need to find their guy. Like, they need to find the person that they're building the roster around. And I can see Anthony Edwards being a fantastic fit for them. So I, I put yours as, a, as an eight. Uh, what do you think about our pick, our picks, Adam? Uh, I think the big O is a good pick for Charlotte. Uh, they do have uh, P.J. Washington, but he's not really a, a big, big. He, mm-hmm. he, like, kind of spaces the floor a little more. So I do like the big O. And Charlotte does need help anywhere. And the big O is not a bad player. So I'll, I'll give you a seven. Okay. All right. We're going to move into Chicago, which I thought was number three, but apparently they're number four. Um, so for this one, I'll, I'll start out. Um, I think the Bulls should be on the lookout for a wing. You know, I like Kobe White a lot for them. I like Zach Levine. Kobe White had a great stretch right before the season ended. He was averaging like 
I think plus 25 points for that, you know, one month stretch. Um, I, obviously Zach Levine is a fantastic scorer, not a great defender, but they, and they have marketing in there too. So like their one, two, four positions are fantastic. I, I really think they should be looking for a, uh, wing. And for, just because of that, I'm taking, uh, Danny Avija for them or Avija. Uh, do any of you know how to pronounce his last name? I think it's Avidya. Avidya? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm never saying that again. We're going to go with Danny. <laughs> so he has uh, incredible versatility at the three position. I, I like that he played in the EuroLeague, and it shows that he can, like, hang with grown men. Um, that's something I liked about Luca a lot when he was coming up in the draft conversation. Anyone that's played overseas in the EuroLeague and has good chops on them, like, it just shows me that you're ready for the big stage. You're ready that you're going to be, you know, bodied by 30, like, 30-year-olds. So that's a good sign. He's a fantastic playmaker, good passer. He has a really good quick first step. Um, he can get past his defender. And he has the potential to be a really good post defender as well because he's, you know, 6'9", uh, can work when a switching defense, which is pretty nice because the Bulls might try that under Billy Donovan, uh, who is coincidentally a big fan of these playmaking wings. And not, you know, a shooter to be scared of, per se, like he has kind of a clunky shot, but that shouldn't be an issue on Chicago when you have Markinen and Levine and White on the roster. So for me, I'm, I'm picking Danny on number four. You want to move on? Brennan, what are you thinking? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'd agree completely that what Chicago really needs right now is a playmaker. And I definitely agree with you that Denny is a definitely a very solid playmaker. I have him going pretty high as well. But if I'm Chicago – I'm taking LaMelo. I think at this point, LaMelo, he's definitely a little bit more raw when it comes to playmaking, but he's without a doubt one of the best pass, if not the best passer in this draft class. Um, obviously, he's incredibly raw. He definitely needs development, which I feel confident in Billy Donovan doing. Um, but if he can develop and his ceiling can be reached, he's going to be terrifying. I think it, he'd be fitting in perfectly in Chicago. I'm going to have to go with uh, Isaac. Okoro, I think this is a little earlier than a lot of the mock drafts had him pinned. But like you said, Nikhil, if you look at Chicago's lineup, I'd even say one, two, three, or not three, four and five. So one, two, four, and five are pretty filled because you have Wendell Carter, you can't forget, who's a great uh, post defender and a great shot blocker. So I'm going to go with Win or Isaac Okoro because I think he's a, a really amazing uh, perimeter defender and kind of makes up for what Zach Levine kind of lacks. I don't think he's a great offensive player, and that's something to worry about. But I think with Laurie and uh, Zach Levine, you don't have to worry about that as much. His load won't be as heavy. But I also think Chicago, like some of the teams I mentioned earlier, might not have the same roster we see right now. Um, I, I think Chicago might be trying to make some moves or some players trying to force their way out of Chicago. I know they're getting a new coach, and I think Isaac would provide a great defensive mentality for a new front office as well. All right, so I'm, I'm going to rate y'all's picks. Adam, you had a Coro. I think that's a solid option just because he's a wing and you filled the position really well. I would give that probably a seven. Uh, Brennan? I'm sorry, Lamelo Ball is going to be a two in my book just because he's Lamelo Ball. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> what are your ratings, Brennan? Uh, I'll give I'll give Avidya 
a six just because he is a phenomenal player. Um, Okoro, I think you're putting him a little too high, so I'll give you a four, but he's definitely also pretty solid. Um, I think you I think you are right that if some roster changes are made and they end up losing, let's say, like, Zach Levine, I think that makes the case even greater for LaMelo. Just going to say that, you know. I agree. Uh, if he's still available, I don't think he would be. But I feel like after <laughs> this pick, any any team that sees LaMelo available, you got to go for it. <laughs> I, would agree. I would agree, yeah. All right, uh, Brennan, do you want to move us into number five with Cleveland? Yeah, so Cleveland, of course, is another team that, need, that needs a playmaker. And this is when I actually have them taking Denny Avedia. Um, you said it all uh, for Chicago. I mean, he is a great player. Uh, he, he was phenomenal overseas, uh, phenomenal playmaker. He can read the court amazingly. Definitely not as flashy as LaMelo, but he's definitely pretty solid when it comes to his passes. Um, can shift speeds really well to shake defenders. He's a really great team defender. He can rotate really well. Um, he's incredibly high IQ, incredibly good on, de- on defense. I think he'd be a steal for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Adam? Yeah, I actually had Denny going in the same spot for very similar reasons. I think he's just like the classic European player. Like He plays like Ginobili, kind of like Luka. Like, they have a certain weight of their game. And I think Cleveland would be the perfect spot for him. It wouldn't be too overwhelming. Um, I think he'd fit in well. Uh, I'm curious to see what Cleveland will do because their roster is very janky with their three starting big men and their two quote-unquote point guards that aren't really point guards. So we'll see. Yeah, I really don't know what to do with this Cleveland roster. It is one of those situations kind of similar to the Hornets where they need to find that one guy to build around just because, you know, who do you have right now? Like, I, I'm not too high on that Colin Sexton and Darius Garland uh, backcourt. I don't think that Kevin Love and Drummond, like, they, they're, you know, good veterans. They'll hold it down. But, like, they're definitely not someone to build around for the future. Um, I just think that they need to get, like, one of these solid, versatile picks that can help shape their future. Um, you know, lead them into the next generation. And, you know, it might be the next best player type of pick, and I would have to go with uh, Isaac Okoro for this one. Um, he was a guy that really stood out to me just watching his tape. Um, he's so freaking fun to watch, so explosive. He's really big. He has the potential to be a respectable long-range shooter, even though his shot mechanics are kind of wonky right now. He doesn't shy away from the big moments and he can drive into contact, like, really well, just because he's so massive and finish with either hand, and his touch is so, you know, feathery, like, so soft around the rim. Um, He's also, like, a really good playmaker, good decision maker as well. Like, uh, the tapes that I've seen, like, he's been – he's known to, like, throw up alley-oops. He's known to um, make the right pass to cutters, to open shooters, and he does well in these high-pressure plays. Like, if he gets cornered, he will most likely make the right play, right pass. You could see in college, like, big moments that the team would go to him repeatedly. So, for me, number five, I'm going to the Coro for this one. I'm going to give you a zero out of ten for that one. Oh, what? Awful pick. <laughs> uh, you're you're going to pick Isaac <laughs> when LaMelo Ball is still on the board. Oh, That's you, you, you're, yeah. You're, I'm in for a lot of zeros here. Just <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, next pick, would you like to start us off, Nikhil, even though you just went? Yeah, yeah, I'll go. This one is for Atlanta. Um, 
I think this is number six, and this is another gamble for them. Uh, like I've said multiple times, we know that their ownership wants them to make the playoffs this year, but I am not too sold on some of their roster spots. I, I like Trey Young a lot, especially on the offensive end, but on the defensive end, he's such a liability. And you can't really blame him for that. He's a short guy, like, compared to the rest of the NBA. Um, and guys can just, like, go right through him. He hasn't put on much weight. So, and, but, like, I mean, they're, they're kind of set with him at the one. They're set with Clint Capella at the five, unless they decide to move him, which I, I don't think they will, just because they gave up so much to get him in the first place. So the weakest position to me in their starting lineup looks to be in the wing role again. Um, and this seems like it's just kind of a common trend throughout the NBA is you have good point guards, you have good bigs, but getting a good wing who's versatile on both ends, like it's difficult. I don't trust Cam Reddish. I don't trust DeAndre Hunter very much. Um, and I think that Horder is going to be moving into that two spot a lot more. So this could be um, this guy, Devin Vessel's t- city to shine in Atlanta. He brings that defensive mentality that the Hawks desperately need. He's a respectable shooter. Defense, defenses won't sag off of him. And he's not LaMelo Ball. So, yeah, I, I, why would you have him, you know, next to Trey Young? Um, let's, I'll, I'll toss it to you, Adam. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. I would, if I was in Atlanta and if I was in that front office, I would hope that my team makes the playoffs because just how, of how weak the East typically is, I don't think it's too unreasonable to want that roster to have a, a sub 500 record and still make the playoffs. And I, I really don't think they're too high on Quinn Compella. Um, mm-hmm. So what I'm hoping for is they draft a Kongwu, uh, the big O actually, and move John Collins to the five. <laughs> and I think that would create a very mobile and high energy front court. And I think, the big O could definitely go much higher in the draft, but I think he could slip as far as down to Atlanta just because of his size. But I, I definitely think Atlanta could give a few more years to their guards. You, you often don't see the player as they are as a rookie. And I know those two current guards struggled, but they were really young also. So I'm going to go with the big O. Brennan? Yeah, so I would agree with you if the big O slipped that far, but I really don't think he is. And the next best big on the draft board is um, Obi Toppin, but his defense is awful, so I don't really see him being selected by the Hawks. Instead, I'm going to I'm gonna agree with it, Nikhil, um, but instead I'm going to – I have them selecting Isaac Okoro um, for similar reasons. He's a very high IQ wing, uh, plays very well on defense. He's – a lot stronger than Devin Vassell. Um, he's definitely more capable of handling bigger players, and he also has the intelligence to know where to be and when. His offense isn't awful, but like you mentioned, it's not ideal. He's a bit raw when it comes to the offensive side of things, but, I mean, they have Trey Young on the team, and he can carry the offensive load for them for the most part. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll give you all some ratings right here. Uh, Adam with the big O. I mean, yeah, if he goes that far, that's that's a 10 out of 10 for Atlanta. I just didn't see him, you know, dropping that far down. Um, for Brennan, I, you know, I like Okoro, but just as a fit for um, Atlanta, just because his offense is so stagnant. And the way that I see them, like, at least moving it forward is having another offensive wing who can be a better playmaker. Um, in 
Okoro has shown like shades of you know decent playmaking, but in terms of like just his overall offensive uh, ability to carry that like load, I, I just don't see him going that high. I'll, I'll still give you like a six or seven for that one. I respect that. I respect that. You have any ratings for us, Brennan? Um, yeah. If if um the big O falls this far, once again, that's a ten out of ten. That's a steal for the Hawks. Um. For Devin Vassell, I'll give you an eight. I mean, we have the same line of thinking. I definitely agree with you that having a more offensively-minded player might be better for the Hawks, but I think just any sort of defensive wing would be ideal for them. So I, I can see either of them being taken at this spot. Yeah, I, I just liked Vassell just because, like, you know, he's a respectable shooter. You can put him in the corner and just have him hit threes. Uh, but with uh, Okoro, like, I just don't see that happening. Anyway, that's that's here or there. Um, let's move on to Detroit. Uh, Adam, you want to start us off on this one? Yeah, so I'm going to go with the French guard, uh, Killian Hayes, for Detroit. Uh, Detroit's in a really weird place. They made some trades for some kind of expired superstars like Derrick Rose and uh, Blake Griffin. Mm-hmm. And they got rid of Andre Drummond. So I don't know really what the plan is for this roster. So I think at this point, they'll take whatever is best available. And in my mind, that is Killian Hayes, as someone to kind of run their offense, hopefully be a little better than what Brandon Knight was when they took him at, like, what, eight or seven um, mm-hmm. a few years ago, probably a decade ago now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I agree, man. Detroit is probably one of the most miserable rosters in the league. Like, I, I – see them having a really hard time building themselves back up into a respectable uh, team. And you're right, they should draft the next best player. I had. I also have them picking Killian Hayes, who is probably the best point guard in the draft. Yes, above LaMelo Ball. He, wow. Yeah. He brings, Ooh, hot take. He brings a good culture, like which LaMelo definitely will not. He's a great playmaker. He has – he can see the floor really well. I love that he's 6'8", which allows him to be a, you know, grow into a switchable defender, even though he's a little bit underweight. Um, just having that frame on him, like, will get him to, you know, just be a better defender overall. And it seems like the league is, you know, transitioning a little bit more towards switching and zone defense. So having him in there will be very beneficial. Um, and, you know, also being 6'8", he, he can body his smaller defender to get to the rim. He's pretty good at finishing with his left hand. I like the fact that he's left-handed. That For some reason, that always gives like athletes more of an edge. You see the, you know, left-handed boxers having an edge. You see uh, players like James Harden in the league who are left-handed having a better offensive game just because it's harder to defend. But he's kind of a bad shooter, has time to develop, though. But Pistons aren't really going anywhere anytime soon. So having that time to develop is probably the best for him in that position. Brennan, what do you think? Yeah, I can, I can totally respect the decision to choose Killian Hayes. I think he is quite possibly one of the best players in this draft. I have Detroit taking Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, for similar reasons, I think Tyrese is just a better playmaker just by a little bit. They're both phenomenal. Um, his passing game is just excellent from what I can tell. Um, he's pretty solid at scoring. I think you're right in the sense where Killian Hayes is really good at using his left hand to throw a lot of off, but Tyrese is really good at using his speed. I've heard a lot of um, comparisons to Shea Gilgis-Alexander, which I can definitely see that. Uh, definitely a liability on defense, which could be a negative for the Pistons, but 
I think honestly either of those two I can see uh, going out to them. Yeah, um, I'm going to give your pick just Halliburton. I, I like the I like his leadership a lot. I like his offensive game a lot. I think that's pretty solid for Detroit. Just but just because he's not a star, and I see Killian Hayes honestly having the potential to become a star in this league. Like you said, he's probably one of the most underrated players in this draft. Um, and the only reason he's not so high is because the point guard position is so saturated in the league. Um, but, you know, Detroit having, you know, Killian Hayes learning under Derrick Rose would be pretty nice. But in terms of Tyus Halliburton, like, he'd be good for them. But it seems like a pick that doesn't fit too well with the roster. So I would give that a five. Uh, what do you think about Killian Hayes? I mean, I, I, like I said, I do respect it. Um, yeah, I, I'll give it a seven. Um, probably would fit better with the roster, honestly. But I don't know. I, I feel like at this point they're interchangeable. Um, yeah, I'm going to disagree with Nick Hill. I think it fits well. Oh, yeah? Really? Yeah, I, I think Tyrese Halliburton is – he's a great – with Detroit, the roster doesn't really matter because the roster is not good no matter <laughs> what. You think about their third best player, what is it? Is it Luke Kennard? Is it um, no, it's Christian, Christian Wood? Wood? Yeah. yeah, Christian Wood's good, dude. Christian Wood's really good. I mean, good. he had I... a nice run, but, I mean, can he do that consistently? And either one of these guys would get your big men the ball. And either one of these guys could create offense. I think Tyrese Halliburton could rebound. I actually have him next. Um, yeah, New York. Yeah, I have, yeah, I have Killian Hayes next, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, Adam. So let's, I, let's... I give your pick a ten out of ten. So <laughs> next, next, I have Tyrese Halliburton for the same reasons you said, Brandon. He's just he can create offense. He can move the ball. Uh, he's a huge guard at six eight, and so he could play defense at that size. And I think. New York, they're definitely going to want to try and trade for a star like Westbrook just to win some games and maybe slip into the playoffs. But if not, I think Tyrese Halliburton would be a, a, a great pick for them. What do you yeah, think? and I, choose, I chose Killing Hayes just for the same reasons you did for Detroit, really. Um, I mean, I do think if they trade for Westbrook, I feel like Killing would fit better alongside him than Tyrese Halliburton. But, I mean – We've kind of established this is kind of a wash. I can see either going in either spot. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, uh, Nico? Yeah, so for New York, the Knicks, uh, this is LaMelo time just because it would be the most Knicks pick ever. Um, wow. <laughs> I am, again, as I've said multiple times, I am not really sold on LaMelo. He hasn't shown us what he can do very much since his Chino Hill days. I also do want to see LeVar Ball blowing up the New York City press just like he did in L.A. I think that would be very entertaining. Um, I think LaMelo was born to play for the Harlem Globetrotters. I think LaMelo was born to play for the Harlem Globetrotters, and he can do that with this terrible Knicks roster. R.J. Barrett, and like more seriously, R.J. Barrett should not need to be handling the ball nearly as much as he does right now, so having LaMelo should take a decent load off of him you know, as that playmaking uh, point guard. And maybe the Knicks can develop him into a decent shooter and help him make better passing decisions. One thing that really makes me question LaMelo Ball is, although he is super flashy, he can, you know, make these, like, really incredible passes, his decision-making on who to pass to or in which moment to pass to them, it's severely flawed. Like, you can even see that in his Australian League 
uh, games, like he constantly like there's there's a guy cutting to the rim and he'll pass out to the wing, like and I just don't see like how you can translate that to the NBA. And when I say the Knicks can develop him, that's kind of a joke because the Knicks can't develop anybody. Um, but I think the Knicks fans are gonna love him up until the point they realize that his their record has remained the exact same with Lamelo and that a hingeless door is better at defense than Lamelo Ball. Brennan, what do you think? I gotta disagree. I mean, I I definitely don't view Lamelo the same as a lot of his like hype supporters are. You know, like. I definitely think he's incredibly raw, and I think you're right. The Knicks can't develop him, but I do think he's going to go earlier in this draft. Um, and if he can get it, if he can get into a team that can develop him into into being a star, I can really see him going far in the NBA. Um, but of course, he is incredibly raw. His floor is very low. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, like that. He's a very risky pick, but I'll give your choice uh, three. <laughs> oh okay 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 um yeah we already covered uh Killian Hayes Tyrese Halbert I think they're both phenomenal players um honestly I would like to see them going to New York probably more than Lamelo, but I just think it would be so funny to see him in Madison Square Garden I can see him pissing off James Dolan when he throws a behind the back pass into the stands uh but let's move on to our last uh pick of this mock draft that we're doing um we we're only going to do top nine here because those seem like the most relevant this one number nine is going to washington uh brennan do you want to start us off with this one yeah for sure so i see washington taking obi toppin or obi toppin um his stock has fallen really hard in the past couple weeks because teams are becoming more and more wary of his defense and it's true his defense kind of sucks he's uh, for a big, his lateral defense is not very good. He's prone to getting blown by by smaller defenders and being caught out of position. But he was still the college player of the year last year for a reason. He's an incredible athlete. He can glide through the air and slam down dunks. He can still softly finish at the rim with either hand. He's actually fairly decent at three-point shooting for a big. He got 39% on 82 attempts, and he doesn't rely on it too heavily. So it just it's another option in his arsenal. Um I think he could be an excellent player alongside Bradley Bill and John Wall, um, especially because they are kind of lacking at the center position. Um, yeah, I can't really see him taking anyone else, especially if he falls this far. I, yeah. I like the pick of OB, but my worry is the defense, just because of how uh, switch-heavy and um, uh, zone-heavy defense has gotten in the NBA. Will it translate? And so for my pick, I agreed that the Wizards do need a big man. So I picked Patrick Williams. Because if you look at this roster, um, the last full season we got with John Wall, they made the playoffs. Now they have John Wall, Bradley Beal, and Rui. And so you want to pick someone that, that will fit alongside them but doesn't necessarily need the ball but can score when they need to. And so I'm going to go with Patrick Williams just because he's a physical player, uh, will play some defense, and can space the floor a little bit. Probably not as well, but I think he could be exactly who the Wizards need as a big man, even though he's a little undersized. What do you think, Nikhil? Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I, I agree with you that they do need a big man. And one thing I do did want to ask y'all, do y'all know any updates about John Wall? Like, he's probably coming out of his injury right now. Are there I think other- he's good to go now. I've seen him play uh, full-court scrimmages against yeah, KD, I saw, Kyrie. Yeah, I saw the yeah, same looking, thing. He seemed pretty good. Yeah? Okay. He looks like he's in better shape than when he got hurt. Because when he got hurt, he had gained some weight and wasn't as explosive. But I think now he's in a lot better shape. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this John Wall revenge tour. Finally tell us what that contract is actually worth. Um, but going back to the pick, it comes down to who plays best next to Bradley Beal. Even if John Wall's back, I don't see him being the center point of that Wizards roster anymore. Um, and I, I gave them Obi Toppin like you, Brennan, just because I can't name any of the big men on the Wizards rosters, on the roster. just I know they have Bertons, but I don't know who their starting center is. Um, Obi, he's super athletic. He reminds me of Amari Stoudemire a lot, where he can shoot the ball, he can handle it pretty well, he can run to the rim and throw down dunks. He's super athletic. And you're right, you know, the defense isn't great, but defense isn't really in the Wizards' dictionary. They'll still be putting up like 140, 150 points every single game and lose, but it'll be super fun to watch with Obi Toppin uh, – as another offensive presence for the Wizards. Um, but yeah, that kind of rounds it out. Um, I like your pick, um, Adam. Patrick Williams is good. I don't think we mentioned him very much in this draft, but he seems like a solid like 7, 8 out of 10 just because on his defensive end, he's not as much of a liability. Um, Brennan, we agreed, so no rating there. Uh, but... I think that kind of rounds it out for us. Is there anything else you y'all want to mention about the draft? I think that's all I have to say. Yeah, same here. I mean, nothing that's already been said before. It's just that it's kind of a weaker draft class, but it's going to be interesting to see if any of these players become stars later on. Awesome. All right, so we have the draft coming up on Tuesday, so please stay tuned for that. I think we will try to make our picks available on the KPRX blog. Brennan, I know that you have a post coming out with your picks and a write-up on each of them pretty soon. Uh, when can you look forward to that? Uh, should be coming out uh, Sunday at the latest. Still working on it. Got two more to go. <laughs> but, yeah, keep on, keep on the lookout on the blog. It'll be out pretty soon. All right. And you also have a show, Records and Rebounds, that is airing every Sunday, correct? I do. It is uh, Sundays at 7 a.m. It's early, but uh, if you wake up, you won't be, you won't be disappointed. You can also check it out on our podcast feed. I think you have an interview with uh, one of our fellow KBRX members this week. I do, yeah. So this week I interviewed uh, Varun Iyer. Uh, We talked about the upcoming draft free agency, uh, start of the season. And uh, I plan in the future to have an uploaded show about me interviewing a former college uh, basketball player. So stay tuned for that as well. Awesome, Awesome, Brennan. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. For sure. Thanks for having me. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.